excited about being here this morning. As I was thinking this morning, and uh, as I was just praying and all that, I was thinking, you know, it's been a it's been a pretty interesting week for our church and the people of our church. It's been kind of uh, I don't know. It just seems like a down week, a very um, draining week. And um, what better place this morning to be uh, in the house of the Lord and let Him regenerate us and uh, give us strength again before we go back out into the world today. Um, this morning, as you see on the screen, we're going to be in chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Um, but begin with, I'm going to look at verse 1. So if you would, uh, look with me in verse 1 of James chapter 3. But I'm going to pray real quick and then we'll jump into it. Dear Heavenly Father, we come now and we thank you so much for this day, God. And we thank you for just who you are, God. And as the first song, second song we sang, God, the good, good Father you are. And how amazing it is that we have a Father like you, God, that even in times of, of doubt and in times of difficulty, that, that you're already seeking uh, are the best for us, God, and, and that your will will be done in our lives, God. And, and the times of difficulty are there like nobody else can ever be there, God, and we thank you for that. And we ask you this morning that as it's been an interesting and busy and just draining week this week, God, that you give us um, a comfort and a rest in you this morning. We just pray right now as we open up your word and we discuss what it has to say that, God, we don't allow it to go in one ear and out the other, God. We don't sit here and be hearers of the word and not doers, God, but we apply it to our lives. We love you, we praise you, and we glorify you in your son's holy name. Amen. James chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read it real quick. It says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Uh, last week we discussed this briefly, um, but we're coming back to it this morning because when we look at verses 13 through 18, he's really making this connection again. He's really talking about those that, that are desiring to be teachers, but also on the flip side, is, as a church looks for people to be teachers, what we should be looking for. Um, and in chapter, in verse 1, he says, uh, my brother, not many of you should become teachers. And he says, this is because they will have a stricter judgment. Um, and the reason there's a stricter judgment is because one that teaches God's word is claiming to present the word of God. What God has to say about whatever verse, whatever topic, whatever it may be. Um, and that right there, there's a lot of difficulty in that. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of struggle and there's, 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 there's a lot of things that we can say wrong and not even realize it at times. And so because we're presenting the word of God, the word that is greater than each and every one of us, we will receive a stricter judgment if we are teachers of the word of God. Um, and as we go into verses 13 through 18, uh, I want us to understand that even though he's really addressing um, those that seek to be teachers or those that we, we seek to be teachers in a church, it really applies to each and every one of us. It's not just those that, that really desire to be a teacher because many of you here may be thinking, you know, well, I really just don't want to teach. I, even, uh, even where you're at today and you're thinking, well, I just, that's not the way that God has gifted me. Uh, but this is a principle that, that goes to each and one of us today. Um, but if you would look at, look at verse 13 with me. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. He begins by, he, he, he says, who is wise and understanding among you? And you see, if you're following along, it has a little question mark there. Uh, and when James wrote this letter, he wrote it to a bunch of, bunch of churches. Um, and they would have all went all over to about 13 different churches. And so obviously they weren't going to answer this question. 
uh, this was a uh, rhetorical question. James is not really asking this. He's just opening up the discussion. He said, those that desire to be, uh, those that is wise among you, and, and when we look at the connection to those that will be teachers, that's what he's talking about, though. There are those that desire to be teachers, those that when we look, we look to find someone that's a teacher in the church, it should be those that is wise among us. Um, but then... He's going to explain a little bit, but just to give you a little preface of what's going on, James is discussing two topics this morning. He's discussing earthly wisdom and godly wisdom. And so he's talking about who is wise among you. And he, in verse 13, he's going on to say, uh, where it says, who is wise and understanding among you? James is asking a rhetorical question, we see, but then he goes on, he says, let him show by good conduct and the meekness of wisdom. And this idea of let him show is pretty simple. It's to prove oneself. James is saying, look, those that, that, that think they're wise among you, let him prove himself, let the, her prove herself uh, by good conduct. That those that are wise among you, their, their life should show it. That the way they live, the way they act, the way that they uh, communicate, the way whatever they do in their lives, they should show that they are wise among you. But then he goes on, it says, by conduct in meekness of wisdom. Uh, this is going to make more sense in a minute, but he's given this idea of a, a gentle wisdom, a meek wisdom, a humbling wisdom. This isn't. Uh, this is the type of wisdom that's not boastful. This is the type of wisdom that is uh, glorifying God and not glorifying man. So James is saying here in verse 13, he's starting off, he's saying, those who are wise among you, you should be able to see it in their lives that they live in such a way that they are humble and they are meek in their wisdom. And then verses 14 through 16, he's, uh, he says this, But if you are bitter, envy, and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where evil, uh, envy, and self-seeking exist, confusion and everything are there, evil thing are there. He, he begins in verse 14, he says the word, but... Because uh, he's transitioning now. He's laid out the, the foundation of what a wise man looks like among us. But then in verse 14, he's about to discuss the earthly wisdom. Uh, what earthly wisdom looks like. What earthly wisdom acts like. Um, and then he goes on and he says, If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast in a lie against the truth. See, the first cause of earthly wisdom we see in this is that it is bitter envy and self-seeking. And a better way to translate that is jealousy and self-ambition. Is that the, those that have earthly wisdom, what he's saying here, it is the man that is seeking to, to understand the Word of God for their own prideful reasons. It's so that they can boast, so that they can claim to be something they're not, so that they can look better than they are, so that they can, so they can grow and they can make it somewhere. They can accomplish things through God's Word. And this isn't a, um, this isn't a good self-ambition. This is a bad one. This is where it's all about them. It's all about me, myself, and I. It's not about anyone else but the individual that is teaching and the one that claims to be wise. See, James is presenting this idea of earthly wisdom because he says in verse 15, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Um, the second word there, sensual, um, I'd like to translate that to unspiritual. That James is saying that this kind of wisdom that is self-seeking, this kind of wisdom that is self-ambitious and uh, is prideful and boasts one up and it causes one uh, to, to think of themselves higher than they are, this kind of wisdom, it, it's earthly. 
that it comes from it comes from the earth, that it is unspiritual and that it's even demonic. That these this kind of wisdom comes from these areas of life. It does not come from God. It does not come above. Um, and when you think about this, it almost seems like it doesn't matter, right? That as long as they're presenting God's word, as long as they're teaching God's word like they're supposed to, uh, and they're not they're not misusing it, then it really doesn't matter, you know. Uh, then what does it matter? In verse 16, he kind of explains it to us. He says this, Where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. That when, when you have a teacher of the word that is self-seeking and self-ambitious and the wisdom is earthly and sensual and, and demonic, that this wisdom, what it causes is it causes, it causes the division. But it, another word for that is confusion. As he says here, that it causes confusion in the church. It causes the opportunity for every evil thing there. That when we have this kind of wisdom, when we have earthly wisdom, then what it opens the door for is for division and for confusion and for every evil thing to enter into the church. Uh, and the reason I guess is because this person teaching, this person presenting God's word is looking for themselves and not for what God has to say. And looking for self-gain and not for the individual. And then it goes on in verse 17 through 18, and he says this, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and hypocrisy. But the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So James in 17 and 18, he's transitioning. He just discussed what earthly wisdom looks like. It looks like uh, self-ambition. It looks like uh, pride and all of these things. But godly wisdom, it is first pure. That the wisdom of God is pure knowledge. That is, it is from God himself, so therefore it is pure. Because God is pure. God is holy. God is perfect. So the knowledge that we obtain from him is first pure. Um, this is something we can't understand because we don't know of anything that is pure. We don't know of anything that isn't sinful or isn't broken. So the knowledge that we receive from God is pure, and that's what we see in this. This is one of the ways that we receive God's knowledge is through the Word of God, and it is pure and undefiable. And the next thing he says, he says, then peaceable. That, that God's wisdom is peaceable, that, that it isn't destructive, that it, isn't, uh, it doesn't cause miscord, it doesn't cause difficulties, it doesn't cause these things like the earthly wisdom does, but it causes peace and understanding. That God provides a pure and peaceable knowledge. But then he also says that it's gentle. Uh, and though there is times to not be gentle, as we see uh, when Christ went into the temple and started whipping people and throwing them out of the church, but we see that God's word, it is a gentle thing, that when we have this wisdom of God, it causes us to be gentle, because what we understand in those moments is that if, if, it's, if God's word is the one communicating, and that's what we're teaching, then God does the work, not the individual, so we can't force anything. Then he says it's willing to yield, and uh, God's wisdom is willing to yield because the thing that we must understand is that we don't know everything, that we can be wrong, and so we have to yield ourselves to God's understanding and not only ours. But then he goes on, he says, full of mercy and good fruits. Earlier, James, um, he states in verse 13 that, 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 God, that one that has godly wisdom will show it by good conduct. That they're full of mercy and good fruits. That when we apply this godly wisdom to our life, then what it does is it, because, it causes us to have 
full of mercy and good fruits. That when God's wisdom is applied, then that's what we have. Um, the one that has godly wisdom is full of mercy, good fruits, and without practicing partiality and hypocrisy. Um, partiality is something a few weeks ago we talked about. Jamie actually preached on it. And he talked about the partiality that was shown in the churches at that time, that a rich man was coming in and they were allowing him to sit in the nicest place, in the nicest seat, but the poor man, they were called, telling him to sit at their feet or stand in the back. And he said that this should not be so, that we should not show partiality. Um, but partiality exists, it still exists today, that by somebody's, what they're known for, or what they have or don't have, that we tend to uh, love them or show them more attention than the other. But James is saying that, that in, in godly wisdom, this isn't the case. That when godly wisdom is truly exemplified, then what we have is lack of partiality, but also lack of hypocrisy. And this doesn't mean that, that the one teaching is going to be perfect in everything that they say, because as we talked about last week, no, none of us is perfect in our tongue. But what he's talking about here is without hypocrisy, is the one that is, has wisdom from the holy God is the one that is applying that to their lives. That you see that in the way they live, just like he said in verse 13, by their holy conduct. But then he goes on in verse 18, he says, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The fruits of righteousness is sown. When I think about that, I think about Matthew, and we're going to look at Matthew here in a minute. But what he's saying is that those have godly wisdom, then they're, they're, they're sowing fruit, that they're planting seeds, that they're, they're doing the will of God, and they're getting ready for the harvest. And that's where it comes in this morning for this is for all of us. Because uh, I don't want us to forget that. I don't want us to miss that. Is that this isn't just James talking to teachers. This is James talking to each and every one of us. This is the command for all of us. That we should be seeking godly wisdom and not earthly wisdom. That we should be seeking God's knowledge through the word, through prayer, through communication, through communion, through fellowship, through worship, through prayer. We, we should be doing these things and seeking God's wisdom and not earthly wisdom. That we should be doing it in such a way that God will transform us our lives. That's what we've talked about on Wednesday nights the last few weeks is that when we study God's word, the first and most important thing to do is to get our heart ready for it. To do it in the right intentions, to do it in the right way. And so this is exactly what James is saying this morning is that when we look for God's wisdom, when we look for the wisdom from God, then and only then can we find godly wisdom. But when we do it with selfish ambition and we do it with pride then we're making a mistake. But he ends this idea with the, with the he says in verse 17, 18, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who made peace. This idea of sowing something uh, is planting seeds. It's, it's getting ready for a harvest. And that's when I, I thought about Matthew 9, 35 through 38. If you would turn with me there if you want, Matthew 9, 35 through 38. He says this, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and heal, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray for the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into the harvest. 
I think about this, and we see here in 35 through 36 is what Jesus is doing. He's going throughout the land. He's going everywhere, and he's teaching, he's preaching, he's presenting God's word. He's healing people. He's doing these miraculous things. And then in verse 36, we see that he sees the great multitude, and he has compassion for them because they were lost. They were scattered. They, they had no shepherd is what he said here. And then he looks at the disciples, and he tells them, he says, look, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. That Jesus understands that he, when he looked out into the multitude and he sees thousands and thousands of people and he understood that these 12 men could not accomplish it alone. That there had to be more, that there, there had to be people who come and as he said in verse 38, that we pray for the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. That, that Jesus, look, the, the, the harvest is plentiful, the harvest is there, um, but the laborers are few. That the, the crops are ready to be picked and there's a bunch of them. But there ain't nobody to pick it. And fruit that fruit or vegetables that are grown in a garden, and if it's never picked, what happens to it? It dies, right? It doesn't get its purpose completed. And when I read this verse and I think about seeking godly wisdom and not seeking earthly wisdom, when I look at these two things in connection, and I think about where we live today, and I know I haven't lived here for three years, so it's it's weird for me to say, because y'all know y'all's area better than I do, but uh, when, I, when I look at the area and I talk to people, and uh, even when I read demographics about the area, we see there's a bunch of broken people out there, right? People in search for something greater than they even understand. We see people that are, are they have broken families, they have addictions, they have problems, um, but they don't really understand the biggest problem they have. Uh, and I see that definitely when I look at the demographical studies and I see that through some questions, it's been determined that 65% of Vernon uh, don't consider themselves religious at all, which would mean that they don't have any religious affiliation, that they don't, they're not a part of a church, they don't go to a church, and um, that seems kind of like a large number when you really just think about it, but when you really go a little deeper and you think about it, and I want you to encourage you to participate with this this morning, if I ask you to think about five people you knew today that didn't know Christ, you could probably do it, couldn't you? Five people that didn't live as Christ lived. Five people that, not saying they're perfect, but five people that maybe don't go to church anywhere. When you really think about it, you can imagine at the end, right? There's only about 15 of us, so if we can all think of five people, in theory, that's 60 people right there. You know, what he's saying here is that the harvest is plentiful. And that's still true for us today. This isn't just true for the disciples in Jesus' time. This is true for us. Is that when we look in our community, we see people that are broken and lost and, and ultimately dying and going to hell. And, and they're looking for something. They need something greater than themselves. And they need a Lord and Savior in Christ. And the harvest is plentiful. But as Jesus says, it's that the laborers are few, that there's few people seeking godly wisdom. There's few people looking to see what God has to say and what God's want to them. And there's a, there's a lot of excuses we give to this. And I'm not trying to discredit any of these, but they're, they're legitimate excuses, but there's ones that we give is, you know, we think about, I just don't know enough. What if they ask me something and I can't give the answer to it? That's legitimate, right? I, I worry about that in my own life. Or we think about, well, you know, what if I don't live right in front of them? What if, if I share the gospel with them and, you know, I'm not perfect? What if, I, what if I slip up and I say something I shouldn't or I act a way I shouldn't? And, and what, what does it look like then? Or, or you think about, you're like, I just don't, I don't even know how to share the gospel. I don't even know where to begin. I don't know how to start. 
See, what, what, when we look at this and we look at James, what we see is that he's telling us in James chapter 3 is that wisdom comes from above and that God provides these answers, that God gives us the strength and the ability to do these things, but we're called to do them. Because when you look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20, I read this a lot, but it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Jesus is talking to the 12 disciples right there. But luckily we have an understanding that God's word is for each and every one of us. That is just as true today as it was then when Jesus said those words. And when Jesus was talking to the disciples, we may not have been there. We may not have been among you when he ascended back into heaven. But this is the command that he's given all of us. He's given all of us. Is that we are to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when we look at Matthew chapter 9, we see that the harvest is plentiful. And that there's people out there, they need Christ, they need salvation in Him. But we have to first seek godly wisdom to accomplish this. That we first have to seek the words of God in doing this. So how do we do it though? How do we seek godly wisdom? What do we do to seek this wisdom rather than earthly wisdom? Well, first and foremost, it's the Word of God here. Um, I know we call the Bible that all the time, and we kinda, it kind of loses its weight at times, but this is literally God's Word to us. That is, in John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. In 1, 16, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. Is that God has provided us His Word, and He is communicating and teaching us today, and it is done through this. It's done through the proclamation of this. It's done through the preaching of this, the teaching of this. So it happens on Sunday morning. It happens on Wednesday night here at Lighthouse. It happens at home when you pick up the Word and read it in yourself. But also, as we discussed Wednesday, it happens through prayer. It's that we have to pray for godly wisdom. We have to, before we open the Word, I, I recommend that we read and we, we pray that God discuss and teaches us what He has for us to learn, that He opens our heart and our minds. It also happens through community with one another, that we build one another up, we help one another, we discuss things with one another, we talk about the difficulties of life, we talk about the hard things that we're going through, the things we don't understand. It has to happen through community and, and fellowship. But it also it has to happen through worship, as we've experienced this morning, that God teaches us even in those moments. And the last thing I really think about is something we're going to partake of this morning is that God also provides godly wisdom through the communion of His Lord of the Last Supper. And really why I say that is when you think about the Lord's Supper, you think about communion, what it was, was it was this moment where Christ, um, He was sitting down with the disciples before His death. Um, and before his death happened, he was sitting down at the table with his disciples and he was eating. And at the end of the meal, he, he, he looks at his, his brothers and he, he tells them, look, you know, I'm about to go and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the sacrifice for mankind. And he, he explains that the, the bread, it represents his body. And the, the, the wine at that time or the grape juice this morning, that represented his blood. And that, that this right here is how we first, we, we, when we partake of this, we partake in the death and resurrection of Christ. And really what that means is that we're sacrificing our lives to Christ. And we're, we're saying that we agree and that we're going to follow after him in our lives. 
And so in this moment, we really see the gospel in the communion, if you don't realize that or not. We see that, uh, and I know this part's kind of implied, but we're, we're separated from God. We, we are in need of a Savior. We're in need of salvation. And Christ comes and he explains that the salvation came through his body and through his blood. And because of that, we were redeemed and we were brought back to our Father, which is in heaven. See, we, in this moment, is a way that we are uh, beginning to seek the wisdom of the Lord. And so this morning, I'm going to pray in just a second, and Lynn's going to come as I pray. Uh, and we're going to partake of this together, but I just want to tell you that my prayer is that we all seek godly wisdom this starting today, if we haven't already, or that we continue to seek it even more. Because God is calling us to something. He's, he's provided us a harvest that is plentiful, and he's telling us to go, therefore, and make disciples. But if we never get out of our own selves, if we never seek the wisdom of God, then we're never going to accomplish it. And that doesn't seem like a big deal, but when you think about the accomplishment that God has for us, the will that God has for us to share the gospel to people, and the word, and people are saved by the, the preaching of God's word, and they're saved by hearing God's gospel. And if they never hear God's gospel, then they can't be saved. And if they can't be saved, they can't be in heaven. So that means that they're in hell for eternity away from us and away from God Almighty. God is calling us to something. He's calling us to seek wisdom this morning. I, was, uh, I pray that that's what we do this morning. To Heavenly Father, I come now and I pray right now that you just... Be with us, God. Be with me as I've done lack of justice in presenting this and explaining this this morning, God. But your Holy Spirit teach and develop this morning. And I just pray as we begin to take this communion, God, we understand that, that this right here is the example that you have given us, God, that you've explained the gospel in this and that you've provided wisdom through this action, God. And I just pray that this is something that we partake of this morning with an open and, and, and and heart, God, that is prepared for you, as you have given us the dangers of partaking if we're not worthy of it, God. And I just pray that we're ready, ready and, and repented, God, but also that we learn from you in this moment, God, that we learn that we have salvation in you, God, and that we preach that to ourselves each and every day. I just pray this morning that you be with us as we apply these things to our life. Your son's holy name. Amen.